of the reading of God's holy word. Today's scripture is brief. It comes from Romans eleven twenty-two. And the word of the Lord says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. For the past several months, we've been going through a word-by-word, line-by-line look at the book of Romans. And in the weeks to come, for summer, we're going to take a short break for just a couple of months and uh, do a series on Psalms, the summer Psalms. And uh, we have ordered uh, some journals for you all to take notes in that are, I think, at the back of the church. And um, uh, the uh, Wednesday morning ladies group, I think Ms. Francis already has theirs in hand. And, um, and so if you would like one, you can take one. If we need more, we will certainly order more. But we've been going uh, through Romans word by word for several weeks now, for several months now. And we have found ourselves for the past few weeks in a discussion about the wrath of God. John, 1 John 4 says that God is love. But Scripture is also very clear that God is also filled with wrath towards sin. More than 375 times in the Old Testament, God's wrath is mentioned. And in the New Testament, Romans 5, 8 through 9 expresses the idea that God shows His love for us by pouring out His wrath on Christ instead of us. The text reads, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So we talk a lot about God's love as demonstrated by Christ on the cross, but the cross is also the place where God's wrath was on full display. The great theologian D.A. Carson wrote, Do you wish to see God's love? Look at the cross. Do you wish to see God's wrath? Look at the cross. The cross is the place where love and wrath collide violently in full force in the ultimate expression of both of these attributes of God. In, in C.S. Lewis' book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a moment where these children who have discovered this magical place called Narnia have encountered Aslan, the lion. And he's the king of Narnia, and he's the Christ figure in the story. And they're terrified of him. So they look to their friend, this beaver, this talking beaver, and they're very frightened. And they ask the beaver, is he safe? And the beaver's response isn't, yes, he's safe. He's safe for the whole family, just like 104.7 the fish. But instead, the beaver responds and says, no, he's not safe, but he is good. So today, we're going to take a few moments to take note of both the dangerous nature of God and the goodness of God the kindness of God and the severity of God, the wrath of God and the love of God. And today our discussion will have three distinct sections. The first is why the cross, the second, Christ the gift, and finally we'll close with the place where love and wrath meet. So why the cross? When we think of wrath, we think of uncontrolled anger, ongoing hostility, 
or spontaneous violent rage, like Incredible Hulk kind of rage. And that's probably a decent human description of what wrath is. But God's wrath is different. God's wrath is not uncontrolled anger. In fact, Nehemiah 9.17 says that God is slow to anger. And it's not ongoing hostility. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish. Nor is God's wrath a spur-of-the-moment violent rage or an angry knee-jerk reaction. God is not a reactionary God. Hebrews 13.8 says he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Ray Pritchard wrote that God's wrath is his settled hostility towards sin in all of its various manifestations. In other words, God's holiness cannot and will not coexist with sin in any form whatsoever. God's wrath is his holy and consistent hatred of everything that is unholy. God does not overlook sin. He does not dismiss it, nor does the definition of sin change according to cultural trends or popular opinions. God is angry at sin. So why the cross? In the Old Testament, The high priest would enter the holy of holies, the holy place where the Spirit of God dwelt once a year on the Day of Atonement and would bring with him the blood of a bull. And he would sprinkle the blood on what they called the mercy seat. It was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And that blood was accepted by God as an atonement or a covering for the sin of the people. Because this sacrifice of blood turned away the wrath of God. And this is meaningful because it teaches us that death, innocent blood, is the only thing that can pay the price for sin. It's an idea called propitiation. Propitiation is a $5 seminary word that means a gift that is offered to satisfy a debt. In this case, it pays the price for sins. The price for our sins is blood and death. The book of Genesis paints this horrible picture of God driving Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, this perfect existence, as punishment for their sin. And it goes on to tell us that God felt compassion for them, though. And He killed an animal to make clothing for them to cover their nakedness and their shame. So we see this progression. God is just, so sin has to be punished. Death is required to cover the sin. And God is merciful, and He covers our sins and our shame. As Jesus was dying on the cross, at one point, when His pain was most intense, He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, all of the wrath of God came crashing down on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. All of the punishments for all of the sins of eternity was poured out on Jesus, and through the shedding of his blood, he became that propitiation, that gift offered to pay the price for our sins. 
He satisfied the debt that we owed for our sinful nature. The great song in Christ alone sings the gospel when it says, On the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So why the cross? Because God is a God of immeasurable holiness. And our sins are immeasurable too. We can have a chest full of Sunday school attendance pens and we can get baptized and we can read the Bible every day and we can stop smoking and drinking and whatever and none of that will turn away the wrath of God. Pritchard wrote, The wonder of of propitiation is that the offended party, God, who has every right to be angry at sinners himself, offers the gift the death of Christ to turn away his own wrath, thus making it possible for guilty sinners to be forgiven. The cross is the place where grace and wrath meet. When we come to God through Christ, we come to a friendly Father and not to an angry God. Because of the cross, God's justice is satisfied. (laughs) Because of the cross, the price for our sins has been paid. And because of the cross, God's wrath has been turned away from us. Because of the cross, salvation from our sins is available to anyone who trusts in the love of God. Christ the gift. With the blood of Jesus Christ... Every sin of the human race, past, present, and future, is sufficiently paid for. For those who trust in His love, those sins are washed away forever. The heart of the gospel is Romans 5.8. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God's holiness demands that sin be punished. God's grace provides the sacrifice. What God demands, He supplies. So salvation is a gift from God. It costs Jesus everything. It costs us nothing. So what do you have to do to be saved from your sins? Do you need to clean up your act? You need to stop going to bars. You need to stop listening to music that makes you cross your feet when you dance. You need to stop going to rated R movies. It's much easier to have a religion that gives you a list of rules to follow, a checklist that can get you in good with God. But the fact is, in Christianity, there's absolutely nothing for you to do. No sin you avoid, no good you can do can make you good enough to get in good with God. Following the rules isn't a heart change, it's just behavior modification. And that isn't good news at all. A while back, I went on a diet and I managed to stay on it for two weeks. It was a strict diet. And someone asked me, how much what I had lost over those two weeks, and I responded and said, 14 days of happiness. 
following the rules is just behavior modification. It's not good news. All you have to do to be in good with God is trust in His love. Romans 3 says that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a gift, as a payment by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is the propitiation, the gift that turns away God's wrath. His blood pays the price for our sins. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So God is just. He will not tolerate sin. And there's always a price to be paid for sin. And God is the justifier. He gives us this free gift. The blood of Christ on the cross to cover our sins so that we can enjoy fellowship with Him for all eternity. On the cross, we see the gospel of grace in action. This tragic and beautiful moment where perfect wrath collides with perfect love. And it's not popular today to say that God is angry at sin, but everyone likes to say that God is a God of love. And He is a God of love. God loves everyone, but He loves people in different ways. R.C. Sproul wrote that God has three types of love for man. One, He has benevolent love. This is a love He extends to everyone on the planet, regardless of whether they believe in Him or love Him, just because, according to 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It's who He is, and it's what He does. And then second, there's beneficent love. This is a kind and giving love where God blesses people. He even blesses His enemies. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said, He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But then finally, there's this, this incredible kind of love called salvific love. This is the love God shows to those who receive the gift of atonement, that grace, that forgiveness of sins that we don't deserve, the unmerited adoption into the family of God even though we're sinners. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. While we were sinners, God loved us and chose to chain our sin and our guilt onto His only Son and pour out the wrath that we deserved onto Him on the cross. And if that wasn't love enough, He turns around and He imputes the righteousness of Christ unto us as a free and undeserved gift so that when the Father sees us, all that He sees is the beauty and the holiness of His perfect, sinless Son. Salvific love is a love that won't stop and it won't quit. and It will never give up and it will never let you go. 
It's the kind of love that a father has for his children. Our God in heaven, out of love for us, sent the only Son He ever had and wrapped Him in our skin. And He learned how to walk. And He fell and He skinned His knees. And He cried for His mother at night. And He sweated blood in anguish over the cross that He knew was coming the wrath of God that he knew he would have to endure. And he was whipped until his bone was laid bare. And he was showered with spit and struck across the face with reeds and nailed to a cross and died, whispering, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He gave his only son's life as a ransom payment for crooked politicians and prostitutes and firemen and factory workers and farmers and teachers and musicians and meth addicts and thieves and Democrats and Republicans and possibly Baptist deacons. I'm not utterly convinced, but it could be true. His grace is scandalous. It's indiscriminate in nature. Mark Twain described that grace that is extended to us through the blood of Christ as the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Isaiah 53.10 says of Christ on the cross, it pleased God to crush Him. Some translations say it delighted God to bruise Him. So we see this wrath that God has towards sin. But then we see the love. God shows His love. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is angry at sin And His love is a free gift, indiscriminate in nature, available to you and available to me, regardless of our moral failures. The cross is the place where love and wrath meet. Carson said, if you want to see the love of God, look at the cross. If you want to see the wrath of God, look at the cross. Johnny Erickson Tata drove this point home in her amazing book, When God Weeps. And she wrote about the terror of the cross. The cross that would be used to demonstrate God's wrath towards sin and God's love for sinners. She wrote, The face that Moses had begged to see was slapped bloody. The thorns that God had sent to curse the earth's rebellion now twisted around his brow. The soldier swings the mallet to sink the spike into his wrist and they lift up the cross. God is on display in his underwear and he can barely breathe. He begins to feel a foreign sensation He feels dirty, 
human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. And the apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. From heaven the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed and shakes his mane and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so, but the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. God speaks to Christ on the cross, now soaked in my sin and your sin, and says, Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, and lied. You have cursed, robbed, overspent, overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled, and blasphemed. The duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. No one has ever ignored the poor like you. No one has ever been a coward like you. No one has ever belittled my name like you. You have a razor tongue. You are a self-righteous, pitiful drunk. You who abuses young boys and peddles killer drugs and mocks your parents. Who gave you the boldness to rig elections and begin revolutions and torture animals and worship demons? The list of your sins never ends. Splitting families, raping virgins, acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians, practicing extortion, filming pornography, accepting bribes. You have burned down buildings. You have perfected terrorist tactics. You have founded false religions. You have traded in slaves. And you have relished every morsel of your sin. I hate and I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Feel my wrath. Tata wrote, and of course, the son is innocent. He is blamelessness himself. The father knows this, but the divine pair have an agreement and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. Jehovah's stored rage against the sin of mankind from every century explodes in one single direction. Father, Abba, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries. That heaven stops its ears. 
And Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perishes. The Father accepts His sacrifice for sin and is satisfied. And rescue for sinners like me and sinners like you is accomplished. Only Christ on the cross could endure the wrath of God. And He did it all for the sake of love. If you want to see perfect wrath, look at the cross. If you want to see perfect love, look at the cross. N.T. Wright asked the question, What would God look like if He were to become human and live among us? And He answered, I think that He would look very much like Jesus of Nazareth. And never more so than in the moments when He hung died upon the cross. Because Jesus bore the full weight of God's wrath on the cross, we can enjoy the free gift of God's mercy. If you are a Christian and you think that God has a grudge against you because of some past or present sin, then you don't understand the cross at all. God loves you. And his wrath has been turned away. G.K. Chesterton called this love the furious love of God. Rich Mullins called it the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. His love isn't like our love. Our love is conditional and it's fickle. And it depends on whether we like you or you hold some quality or some attribute that's attractive to us. But not God. His love doesn't depend on our good looks or our good behavior. St. Teresa of Avila said that he is crazy with love and he is drunk with love. Brennan Manning wrote a remarkable book called The Furious Love of God. And in it he said, If you took all the love of all the best mothers and fathers who have ever lived in the course of human history, all their goodness, kindness, patience, fidelity, wisdom, tenderness, strength, and love, and united all of these qualities in a single person... That person's love would only be a faint shadow of the furious love and mercy in the heart of God the Father addressed to you and to me at this very moment. The awesome love of our invisible God has become both visible and audible in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Henry Nowen wrote, I'm here to remind you in the name of God 
that you are beloved daughters and sons of God. And that God says to you, I have called you from all eternity and you are engraved from all eternity in the palms of my hands. You are mine. You belong to me. And I love you with an everlasting love. The good news of the Gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins so that we can enjoy